Hi, and welcome to Texas State Choirs Today. I am producer Francis Nieves filling in for you for your host, Dr. Jonathan Babcock. Today we have Texas State Opera Director Dr. Mark Reynolds joining us as a guest on our show. How are you, Dr. Reynolds? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, Francis. It's great having you. Uh, The way we generally like to start things, since most of our listeners are undergraduate students, is by having you tell us a little bit about your undergraduate experience as an opera student and where you went on from school. Great. So uh, my undergraduate was at Brigham Young University, and I did vocal performance and sang opera and, and did that. As I was finishing up my vocal performance degree, I realized that maybe I didn't enjoy the performance element quite as much as I probably needed to to have a full career in that and make it worth it. its, it's effort that it takes to put into it. Yeah. Um, but I really found that where I liked spending the time most was in the practice room and in rehearsals, oh. which is usually the reverse <laughs> of most people. They dread the practice room and they dread uh, being in staging rehearsals and, and those type of things. That's Usually they go through all that effort to have the rewarding experience of being on stage and performing in front of an audience. Right. So I thought, hmm, what else might really suit me and what I'd like to do? So I started doing some stage directing and getting involved that way and really found that that's what I love to do, that that's where I needed to be and really love doing that. And so as soon as I started applying to graduate schools, I was applying to some as a singer um, and for master's degrees in opera, vocal performance in that realm. And I was also at the same time applying to directing programs. There aren't a whole lot out there. Mm. So I was just casting uh, my net out to see what would take, and I got accepted to a bunch of different stuff. So I went to UT Austin for my doctoral program as well because that was the only uh, program in the nation that offered it. It was a great place to stay. I don't mean to say I only went there because of that, but it made the choice really easy, and they kept me on there as well. So, And then since then, I've been doing some singing, but mostly focusing on stage direction and on building opera programs and stuff like that. Well, uh, tell us about your experience at opera. How did it all start? Um, You mentioned before, um, during the Texas State Chorale Tour, that you didn't start into opera the traditional way. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm. uh, well, it it might be more traditional than one would expect, actually, especially in the U.S. But yeah, the first opera I ever saw was one that I was in. Yeah. I grew up going to music musicals. I grew up going to all kinds of different performances, but just never in opera. Um, there definitely was plenty of opera where I lived. I grew up in Los Angeles, and so there there's plenty of opportunity. I just never ended up going. So uh, I ended up through a long se- series of events that we don't need to go through here, <laughs> finding myself singing in an opera. And as soon as I started singing in it, I fell in love with what... I fell in love with the whole process and what was going on and just really loved what I was doing. Wow, that's awesome. And where has this journey taken you in terms of past projects and things you're looking forward to? Uh, This journey is taking me through a lot of different phases. So my primary goal in what I love doing is teaching and teaching at, at the university. So, um, I've always had that element in there. I've, um, I've directed down in Corpus Christi and and kind of built their opera program 
and got that rolling a little bit more. I also then went up to Utah and then started, did the first two operas at a university up there and then got hired on at the same time to work with a different university um, to get their opera operas on their feet. And at the same time, I was working with small opera companies down in Corpus and in Utah and bigger opera companies at the same time. Wow, you're just traveling it's, all over the place. Yeah, so doing stuff <laughs> all at the same time. And just like most uh, musicians and artists in our field, we're just doing everything that we can to not just make money, but to satisfy that curiosity yeah. and that desire to create and make beautiful things. Speaking of future projects, for those who don't know already, Texas State is putting on uh, an opera, and I think everyone should know about it. What's coming up, Dr. Reynolds? So at the end of March, the last four days of March, we're putting on the Magic Flute. And it's Mozart's Magic Flute, but it's in a different universe or galaxy than we're used to doing it. We're doing it inspired by Star Wars, and uh, so you're going to see all kinds of interesting uh combinations of characters and people and we've rewritten the story and dialogue quite a bit and the ending has a unusual twist that is not normally seen when the opera is done oh really yeah so all <laughs> kinds of fun stuff that's come out of this project so it's been really fun that's so cool i'm a big star wars fan uh can you talk to me a little bit about the the libretto how are you doing the the dialogue uh is it in english all in english yeah good question so the singing is going to be in german and the dialogue is going to be in English. Oh, okay. So when we sing in German, there there will be super titles up above. We're actually singing the original German. Um, because it's an educational institution, we, we wanted our performers to learn the original German mm. and learn all of it. Yeah. Um, so if it was a pro company, would I have done it the way we did it this time? No, I probably would have done it in English um, and cut out a lot of what we're doing. But educationally we felt it was really important for our students to get that under their belt and, and start diving into the foreign languages and all that that means. Right. Um, so the super titles up above are rewritten. So if you were to speak German and you would quickly realize that they don't necessarily match up 100%. Yeah. Um, but that's part of the experience. And as well, if you go to an opera where they are theoretically translating directly, the super titles aren't always perfect matches to what they're saying. They're to right. kind of get you in the ballpark and the feeling of so you understand what's going on. So it's it's kind of this unique mix and match of things that I think the audience is really going to enjoy yeah. and be accessible. And I don't think most people are going to walk out thinking, oh, that was an opera. I think they're just going to be walking out thinking, that was awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> Man, yeah. I'm really excited for that. So not only is this opera set in the Star Wars universe, you have actually invited stage combat instructors to help choreograph lightsaber duels to further immerse the audience into this experience. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so if you go on Facebook, and we have Texas State Opera Theater Facebook, you'll see some posts of that session, actually. <laughs> and it's super fun. Yes, we had, we had a, a stage combat instructor come in from the theater department. He was awesome and worked with our performers. So it just looked... Right. So they knew how to hold the sword, hold their body, hold their legs and feet. Then he helped to get all the impractical things, the things that are flashy and showy that you never do in real combat because it would get you killed. But because <laughs> it's a lightsaber and you want to flash it around, you right. want to do that, help them get the, those things. And then 
is really cool because then we turn out the light and you just see these lightsabers twirling Ooh. around and fighting. <laughs> and it's, it's really it's it brings out the eight year old in in you just to get excited about what's going on. Right? Yes. Oh, that's what I'm waiting for. Oh. Yeah, um, so for our listeners out there, when will the show be going up? We have, it goes up March 28th. The performance starts at 7 o'clock, I think, or 7.30. I think it's 7.30. I think it is 7.30. So 7.30, I should know, but we've been in in late night tech rehearsals for all week. Oh, that's right, yeah. (laughs) Then even on spring break the past two days, we've had really long days in teching stuff. So... So my brain's a little bit on the fritz. But we, so yeah, so we have nighttime performances on the 28th, 29th, and 30th. And then on Sunday, the 31st, we have an afternoon matinee. Oh, sweet. Then the cool thing is we also are adding a new performance in as well. That's going to be happening Friday afternoon. It's for school-aged children. So Oh, really? Um, and students. Yeah. So they'll come in. It's uh, about 45, worth, 45 minutes worth of music, an hour worth of performance where we introduce them into voice types. They hear the, the t- big songs, and then they're also offered a discount if they come back to see the full thing with their parents. But it gives them a way to be exposed to opera at an early age. Oh, I love that. Um, now, before we end the episode here, I would like to ask a few questions just out of pure curiosity. What is your favorite opera and why? Oh, that's a hard question. There's two answers to that. One answer is whatever opera I'm working on. <laughs> Uh, That's a good answer. I think the default, even ones that I'm not familiar with or looking forward to, once I get into it, usually I just fall in love with what I'm I'm working on. Mm -hmm. If I was to have to really choose just one rather than the one I'm working on at the the present time, my favorite is La Boheme. That was the first uh, opera I sang with an orchestra. Um, And just ever since, Puccini is one of my favorite composers. I love what he does with the music and how it really dictates what's going on with the action. And it's just, and I also love what he does with the characters, and they're really real people. I feel like the people I'm seeing on stage are not some overly dramatic rendition of what's going on, but they're, I'm seeing real people interact with music as part of that world, and I just love it. It, it moves me every time I hear it or listen to it. It's just a gorgeous piece that really tugs at the heart. Oh, Wow. Out of the past operas you've been in or directed, which was your favorite, not including the Magic Flute? My my favorite production to be a part of. Let's see. Um, I would probably choose The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. Oh, really? Why is that? Yeah. So Austin Opera, back when it was Austin Lyric Opera, and I was a grad student still, um, brought me in to direct that show. Is really minimalistic. It was done in a church's sanctuary. Oh. Um, but I had, the, I had the pleasure of working with some singers who were just fantastic. And it's a great piece. It's very, um, it's contemporary and it's modern in its compositional style. But they made the characters so real and believable and really made the music what it was. So for me, it was one of the few shows where I felt like the show I was watching was even better than what I had in my head originally. Right. It's not that it just matched my my vision and what I was hoping for, but superseded that. And wow. so that made it, you know, if you're a, a director and you get to the final, you get to the final performance and you've watched this how many times by this point? 
and you find yourself absolutely sobbing at the end. Mm-hmm. There's something to that, right? right. I, mean, I know what's going to happen. I know what they're doing. But still, I'm, I was very moved by what, what their performance was and what they did. So I think that was the most gratifying. Even though production value-wise, it was probably one of the least elaborate sets or costumes. Um, it was probably the most moving and most sincere and genuine performance I've been able to be a part of. Wow, thanks for sharing that. Is this Star Wars setting the only crazy setting you have put an opera in? And if you could do another crazy setting, what opera would it be and where? Wow, that's a good question, too. <laughs> Let's see here. In a perfect world, if you had all the money. Yeah, so so no, this isn't the only, I guess, crazy setting that it's been in. And, and interestingly enough, it may seem crazy, but it's not all that crazy. There's actually a company in Germany doing it right now. I didn't know until we had actually already started this. Yeah. Um, and I've actually I've heard of it other places being done. So it's not that Star Wars is really all that crazy of a universe for Magic Flute. Magic Flute has been done all over the place, though it is very unusual for, for most people when they think of Magic Flute, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, just last year, we did a performance of... Um, the Elixir of Love, and we did it in a post-apocalyptic Italian village. Um, and so that was really fun. What? Yeah. <laughs> so we had just a, a really nice mix of small town feeling, but modern elements and yeah. and textures and behaviors. And so it, was, it made it really, really fun. Our Nemorino at the start, his job was being a pooper scooper. <laughs> um, so he walks out with a big shovel and... And that's why everyone thinks he's awful and kind of push him away until oh. he, he makes money later on, right? Um, not makes money, inherits money um, and becomes very wealthy. And then everyone's all, all about him, right? Yeah. So so that's one. Um, my favorite ones are usually the ones that um, are not set in a specific time period, but they are like post-apocalyptic or mm. – um, Star Wars universe, but somewhere we've never seen before. Or um, we did a Cosi Fantute a, a while ago where it was kind of period-esque costumes, but really with updated and not in any particular time or place or period. It was its own moment Oh, um, with styles and fabrics and, and set pieces and looks that you couldn't necessarily pin down to any specific time, but was created by the designers and myself thinking through really what we think would fit the music best and what would be interesting aesthetically. Interesting. And the story. So, and really communicate what the, the audience needs. So that's my favorite. Yeah. Um, my favorite thing about being a director is that process of engaging designers and because they're, they're usually, at least the ones I've been able to work with, absolutely brilliant, wonderful people. And putting all these different ideas and crazy things into one cohesive storytelling package um, is is what's so fun, is to collaborate in that way and come up with something that no one person would come up with on their own. But as a group, you come up with something that's really unusual and fun and unique. (laughs) I love that. Well, I think that's about as much time as we got. Thank you, Dr. Reynolds, for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure having you on. We look forward to seeing the Magic Flute episode one opening Thursday at 7.30 p.m. And a special thanks to those who have tuned in to Texas State Choirs today. Have a wonderful day. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you. (laughs) 
This has been Texas State Choirs Today. Thank you for listening. Our recording engineer is Ian Flores. Our producer is Francis Nieves. And Mark Erickson is our recording consultant. This has been recorded at the historic Fire Station Studio in San Marcos, Texas. If you like our program, take a moment and rate us on iTunes. It really helps us grow our audience. I'm your host, Jonathan Babcock. Thank you for listening, and keep singing.